Good heaven with you. Open up Matthew chapter 8. Like I said, we'll get there uh, just uh, in a little while. And uh, we want to kind of uh, just not review, but just kind of continue on in our presentation, if you will, uh, for our vision month, for our 2023 vision month. And as I mentioned last week, and as we're talking about through each one of these sermons, guys, that Jesus' heart is revealed in his actions. It's supported by his words. His words, his actions lined up one with another. And simply put, if I could come up with a with the, a simple cliche or statement, if you will, about who and what Jesus is concerning his life, the legacy, the uh, living a life worth leaving to others, is that what he is, he does. It's that simple tonight. What he is, he does. His actions, guys, we find, support who and what uh, we find him to do in his life, guys. And it's a pattern that we need to take on ourselves, especially if we're going to leave a life, guys, that's worth leaving to others, a legacy. Now, I've preached on the the, the, the idea of a legacy. I've preached uh, several times on it. Matter of fact, it's one of my, my wife's favorite sermons that I preach. And um, one of the points that I make, and I made this last week, and I'll reiterate it now, and we'll get into the rest of the message. You know, a legacy doesn't have to be left when you die. That's what we always think. People think, well, you're, you know, somebody becomes a legend, or they have a legacy. Guys, you're living your legacy now. You're establishing it right now. You're building it today and what you're going to leave for the people that are coming behind you. And that's important for us to understand. It's important for us to know that our living life today is being viewed by more people than you can imagine. More people than you can ever even think or see in the shadow that you're leaving in this life today. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, You are epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye manifestly declare to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. An epistle, guys, is a letter. Now, of the 14 times the word epistle appears in the Bible, two are referring to the lives of people, or a church, or Christians, if you will. It's in reference to their testimony, and this is where we see those two right there that we've read tonight. Now, just like I mentioned last week about our life uh, being a a canvas, if you will, uh, one in which we, we paint, we delineate, we shade on a daily basis, our life is also a letter, a book, if you want to call it that. Each day, each week, each month, each year, you're forming different chapters of your life. And our life, or letter if you want to call it that, as well, is read by those who are around us. By souls who we see on a daily basis, as well as people who we never, ever meet. They're viewing our life. They're reading our moves, our actions, our reactions, our replies, and even our requests. And unbeknownst to us, guys, often they are making decisions in their life based on what they're reading in yours. Some of those decisions are good. Some of those decisions are bad. But that's what Paul means when he says that ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Now, guys, before you go off on the idea of saying, well, man, that's just not fair. That's not fair that people are making decisions based on my life. I want to make a, a blunt statement tonight, and uh, uh, I hope that you're not offended, but it is what it is. No one ever promised you a fair life. You're not going to find one place ever where you were promised that life was supposed to be fair to any of us. There's no assurance that life on this earth uh, uh, between here and eternity was going to be fair, was going to be equal, or even sometimes, for that matter, kind. You know, we, have, we are in control of what we write in our letter. We're in control of what chapters we form. We're in control 
of each book that we write in our life and how we react to the things that are brought into our days. We are in control of how we are read by others, guys, and how we build upon the foundation. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. For the child of God, you are building upon the rock-solid foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a rock-solid foundation. As a matter of fact, an Old Testament reference that Paul brings in in 1 Corinthians 10.4, he says, And did all drink of that same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so you're building upon that foundation as a child of God. You don't have a choice. You say, well, hang on a second here. What if I want to build on another foundation? That's the foundation you have. You may build on a sandy foundation, as we'll see here in just a moment, but you're still building upon Christ's foundation because as a child of God, that's who and what you are, and there's only one. We need to know that here tonight, guys, because how we build on that foundation is what we're going to be judged by. Now, there are two foundations that mankind's life will take. There's two types of letters that we can write. There's two types of chapters and books that we can establish in the legacy that we live for others to see and for others to live beyond our days on this earth. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. He tells us here in Matthew 7 verse 24, he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Now, that's the key. And we, we've heard a lot. But doing them is the key. Like I said, what Jesus is, he does. He goes on to say, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and we know a little bit about that here, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, I'm going to take a side note off here. I, most of you guys know I grew up in southwest Florida, all right? Land of hurricanes and alligators and giant spiders that just want to kill you, don't want to go back. We just had Hurricane Ian come through and wipe out my hometown, all right? And I'm looking at photos and looking at it when it's happening and watching the storm hit and seeing things that I grew up as a little kid and all these things, and they're gone. They're completely gone. But there were some homes, as as some of you that may have have watched the footage, there were some homes that were here untouched, unscathed. And there were some wiped out. And when they went back for the investigations, they find out that many of those homes that withstood the storm, that withstood the wind, the rain, and all of that, were built per code. So there's a certain code in the state of Florida that you have to build a house to. And that code is built is, is meant to withstand a, hur- a Category 5 hurricane. But if you don't build it according to code, and when the wind comes and the storm hits and the floods rise, it's gone. Now that's visual. We can see that. We saw that on the news. And we look here in what the Lord has said in Matthew 7. This is about living a life. This is about you making a choice today. Because you know what, guys? The floods are going to come. It rains 270 days in in this country right here. 270 days a year, right? That's a physical rain. But the floods of our life, the storms of our life, the trials, the temptations, the rain, the wind, those things are going to come into our life no matter what. Why? Because it's part of life. The ups and the downs is part of life. What do you think makes a great day a great day? It's because you're comparing them to some bad days. 
You guys know me well enough, especially the our, our gym crew. I love Monday morning. I absolutely love the stinking wee hours of Monday morning and watch people come through half awake, eyes going, I mean, everywhere, glossed over, don't know what they're doing, and firing them up to make a difference in their life. I live for that, right? I love it, man. <laughs> I don't know where that was going. It was going somewhere. But that's what I'm talking about. That's the life that we want to have in our days, have an effect on other people. And the only way you're going to do that is write the letter of your life right here, right now. Write the chapters, write the books, write, write the letter, but write it according to code. Because when the storms come and the problems hit, you're going to withstand the test of time. So guys, how is your letter being read today? Is, is it based on how, uh, how you're living or how you're, you're reacting to things? But I will say this, the way that your letter is being read is based on how we live. And how we live is greatly determined on which foundation we're building upon. Are we building it up per code? I know for me, guys, I know that I have to follow the book. And the book has never failed me. The code has never never sent me the wrong direction. So when your letter is read, what is known? What do they see? When they go to chapter 2 of your life, what legacy in life are you leaving in the shadow of your days? As for Jesus, in our text tonight, in Matthew chapter 8, we see another great example of his heart. But it also starts with another individual. Look at Matthew chapter 8 with me, if you will. And again, where we read it, the Bible tells us, When he was come down from the mountain, a great multitude followed him. Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, guys, here's what I want you There's a few things I want you to see tonight. And, and, and about the middle of it, you're going to say, where on earth is he going? I want to make sure we clearly understand what's going on in Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, what happens three or four chapters before that, and then we'll get into our three points and be done. But we find here in verse 1 that multitudes were following our Lord and Savior. The number of this, we don't know. We don't know how many people it was. But I know the Bible says a great multitude. So I, I believe there's many, 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 many people. So in chapter 8, when it says Jesus came down from the mountain, guys, this is the opening phrase of chapter 1, I mean chapter 8, verse 1. This is following the Sermon on the Mount, which we all have heard the Sermon on the Mount. Now, doctrinally speaking, the Sermon on the Mount is the, the law during the Millennial Kingdom. It doesn't apply to us today. Or you can be as meek as you want to, you not inherit the earth. That's not, you understand, that's a doctrine for another time. But nonetheless, it is a widely known sermon that he preached. That began in chapter 5, verse 1. So by the time we conclude chapter 7 and we go into chapter 8, you know what we're finding out? We're finding that all these people are following him. There is some confusion about a discourse that happens in Luke 6, and I don't want you to confuse Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapter 5 through, verse, through um, chapter 7. Uh, Luke, 6 was, Luke uh, chapter 6 was preached on a plain, not a mountain. Plus, in Matthew chapter 8, the disciples have not been chosen yet, not called. In Luke chapter 6, they were all together. But I want you to see something here, a little nugget for you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, which is the final verse, says, For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. So that Sermon on the Mount that you know, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, there's some hard preaching that goes on in the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't candy-coated. It wasn't sugar-coated. It was straightforward, just like it should be. 
But this verse right here, the conclusion in the early stages of Jesus' public ministry, this statement that says that he taught them having authority reminds us of the 12-year-old Jesus who was found in the temple after three days answering and giving questions to the lawyers. We find that in Luke chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, it says that it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing and asking, or both hearing them and asking them questions, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. I mean, so here we have a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, perfect and sinless, the Creator, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. And yet he lived a life on this earth that gives us a pattern that we can follow, and we can see it even in the early stages of his ministry. In the early days. Now there's a parallel account of Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 8. It's found in Mark chapter 1. But in both cases, and this is important for the message tonight, in both cases, Jesus Christ cautioned the man, don't tell them who healed you. Don't tell them I'm the Messiah. Don't tell them I'm the Christ. Several times we find the Lord Jesus Christ doing something miraculous, doing something wonderful, giving humble instructions, if you will, but telling them, nope, don't do it. And here's what's interesting about that. Because the temptation and the rejection of his official public ministry in the synagogue of Capernaum was found to have a central topic, a central theme. This is before what we see today in Matthew 8. That central theme, I want you to see this. They chose to reject Jesus Christ. Luke 4.27 says that many lepers were in Israel in that time, in the time of Elias, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed save Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereon the city was built that might throw him down or cast him uh, down headlong. Christ's Messiahship had already been rejected. By the time he comes down from the Sermon on the Mount, by the time he comes down and this leper comes up to him, his Messiahship had already been rejected. And strangely enough, the, the tout de grace that we find associated with a leper. You say, why is that important? Jesus is still telling them, don't tell them I'm the Messiah. Even in Matthew chapter 16, he says, then charged his disciples that should tell no man that he was the Christ, that Jesus was the Christ. So back to our text tonight. Why is it important that I'm saying that Jesus Christ kept humble instructions? He says, tell no man I'm the Christ. Tell no man that I'm the Messiah. Why is it important that they rejected his ministry when Jesus Christ was clear about naming the leper, which is an Old Testament illustration? Do you know, I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. Notice what this leper calls Jesus. Can we remember what he called him? He said, Lord. Look at verse 2. It says, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt. Why is that important? Because chronologically speaking, this is the first time in the New Testament we find Jesus being referred to in such a manner, chronologically speaking. And it's interesting enough to see that the last man to speak with Jesus Christ in his earthly life before he died on the cross was a criminal who said, Lord, remember me. Lepers and criminals. No wonder it's written in Isaiah 53 that he was numbered with the transgressors. I understand that is a prophecy for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I do believe in a great way it takes on a larger implication as well. Lepers and criminals. The first one to call him Lord... 
And the last one to call him Lord on earth in his earthly ministry. One was a leper, one was a criminal. So this leper coming to Jesus, calling him Lord, has a, a deep and powerful teaching. And here's why. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 12, referring to Miriam, if you remember back what happened, she had murmured against Moses, and she became a leper. And he goes on her behalf, says, Let, let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he uh, cometh out of his mother's womb. This is referring to Miriam. And it would indicate that leprosy is a type, a picture, if you will, of sin. And as such, the contact that Jesus would make with this leper coming to him, calling him Lord, makes an excellent sermon. But it also reveals something. Leprosy can only be healed by God. I mean, we've got several chapters. Leviticus chapter 13 through 15 shows that a blood sacrifice has to happen. And once that blood sacrifice happened in the Old Testament, that was the only way God would heal leprosy. And leprosy, if it went unchecked, uh, uh, could pollute homes, uh, clothes, bodies, I mean, everything. And yet now we have this leper come and calling him Lord, the very first one, chronologically speaking, up into how many people did we have? A great multitude. Now, I want you to, I painted a bit of a picture for you, I hope. Something that's happened, you know, at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is getting ready to go down into Capernaum, and there's a load of things that happen in his life, both that are misinterpreted and misapplied doctrinally. But we find this little thing that occurs, and such a risk that is taken. Yet we also see that this leper had a bit of comfort, did he not? So notice with me first tonight that the leper walked up. He just walked up to Jesus. I'm not, I'm not making it out like it was not much that he did, but the Bible says there came a leper. So first off, this would have to be the most difficult thing for him to do. Lepers were outcast. They were unclean. They were removed from public. They were quarantined, if you will. Now I believe we know a little bit about quarantines, don't we? We know a little bit about lockdowns, don't we, now, in 2023. A lot more than we did before 2020, did we not? You know, a recent study revealed that 40.4% um, of young people were considered to have psychological distress as a result of the lockdowns of 2020, which increased by 10% between the first and the second lockdown. Now, guys, I want you to imagine with me now this is your life. Lockdown. Now, we got to leave the house for 30 to 60 minutes to go exercise. I thought it was funny. Every crackhead in Cardiff was suddenly exercising for an hour, wasn't it? Huh? I'm exercising. Okay. I mean, what we had, we, guys, well, the honeydew list was empty. We got all the housework done. You know, Zoom. I mean, Zoom stock rose by I don't know how much, did it not? But not for a leper. What we went through was nothing compared to what this is their life. I mean, how would you shop? What did we do? Got on Amazon, didn't we? Started ordering through Tesco, you know? And it came to our house. Boy, we're just suffering a big time, aren't we? <laughs> My soul, man. See, for a leper, things were different. He was locked down, he was done, he was dusted. He had to avoid all public contact with anyone. She couldn't go anywhere at all. I mean, how would you shop? How would you wash your clothes? How would you collect your water? I mean, what would be your basic survival needs? Things that we take for granted. This is their life. No routine. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a creature of habit. 
most of us are. He couldn't get into a routine. He couldn't get into a routine of going to the, the well to get water every day at the same time because somebody else may be there, and they don't have the right of way. A leper was marked. They must wear a band around the arm. If they did come anywhere near a crowd, they had to scream, leper, 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 unclean, do not touch. Just imagine that with me tonight. Imagine that with me this evening. And yet you notice what he did? He walked up to Jesus. He risked everything. And you can say what you want to. The leper knew that with the chance that he was taken. <laughs> I used this this morning. Um, I think it comes off the society that we live in today where you know, rather than helping someone, they grab their phone first and video, which I, for the life of me, cannot figure out. But I just kind of pictured this. I, I pictured this. I pictured, you know, two or three TikTok guys, all right? And they're kicked back. They're in the, you know, outskirts of Capernaum. And they're seeing this guy walk down the hill with this massive multitude of people following him. And then they look down here and they say, there's a leper. There's a big multitude of people. And there's a leper. Hey, watch this, Johnny. Watch <laughs> this guy's getting ready to get stoned to death. They're going to start throwing rocks. Watch this. Watch this. Keep looking. Now, our society today would do that. Mm-hmm. That was what was going to happen. I don't know if he timed it right. I don't know if he knew that the multitude was so far away from Jesus. They were out of rock throwing room. I have no idea, but I do know this. I believe in all my heart this evening that that leper had enough faith in the Lord to heal him, that it was greater than the risk that he was going to take. It was greater than the risk for him to reach his full potential, reach his full ability. So I'm going to ask you this tonight. We've only got two more points left. One's real quick and short. What's holding you back tonight from you reaching your full potential in this life living for Jesus? What's holding you back? Are you worried about what people are going to say? Are you worried about what people are going to think? Are you worried about what they're going to... Oh, they're, you know, that he, he or she goes to church. i tell you what I'd be worried more about. It's what the one who gave his life for us. What he's going to think. And what he's going to say. I mean, personally, guys, I never have been one real big on... other people's opinion in a great way. Sometimes that's been a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. If it's carnal and it's flesh, if it's BJ, it's terrible. But if I stand up for the right thing, because my Lord's told me to stand up for the right thing, I'm not going to go wrong. I may lose a friend or two, but I'm not going to go wrong. So tonight, as you continue to write the chapter that you're in right now, Tonight, as you continue to live a life and drop a shadow, what's holding you back from your full potential in this world? For this leper here, he knew there was one that could heal him. He knew there was one that could fix his problem. He knew there was one that could get him out of quarantine. And he was coming down that mountain. Second thing that we see, and we'll cover it quite quickly tonight, is we see not only did he walk, he walked up, but he worshipped. And this is important for us to understand. The Bible says that he worshipped him, saying, Lord, in verse 2. 
And guys, if you're going to worship, and I mean truly worship God, Jesus must be your Lord. He cannot be uh, your, your go-around. There is no other way around it. He's not a genie in a bottle that you pull him out when you need him. He can't be your final option. He must be your sole option. Now, again, I'm not going to belabor the point because I've taught it down here enough, but worship always associates a sacrifice. Always. The law first mentioned, Genesis 22, verse 5, And Abraham said unto him, his young men, he said, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now we know the story. That's where Abraham was commanded to take Isaac up and sacrifice him. Abraham says we're going to go worship. So we know sacrifice is associated with worship. He also says he's going to come again to you. So he also knew that if he did sacrifice Isaac for fulfilling what God had commanded him to do, that God was going to raise him up again. And we understand that Isaac became a picture of Jesus Christ. Mount Moriah, which is Jerusalem, right where Jesus was crucified. For us, the final blood sacrifice for sin has been paid for on the cross, and what a blessing to that, but there's other type of sacrifices in our life that we're going to end up having to pay to truly worship in the way the Lord wants you, to worship in spirit and truth. It just depends on what you're willing to pay. Time, talent, treasure. What do you want to put to the test tonight to worship? Lastly, tonight, we see this old leper walked up. And I know, I know I've talked about the leper so much here tonight, and we want to get into the key here, the seeding of who and what's going on. But he walked up, he worshipped, but he was seeking the Lord's will. And he wanted that will to line up with his. Verses 2 and 3 again says, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst, be, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean, immediately his leprosy was clenched. Now both words in these two verses, wilt and will, one comes from the leper, the other comes from the Lord. But both of these words come from the same Greek derivative, which means desire. And beloved, that leper's heart's desire was to be cleansed. And the Lord's heart's desire was to cleanse him. The two desires met, and guess what happened? A difference was made. One had a great need. The other had ability to meet this need. Now, man, I am convinced today that everybody in this room and everyone in Cardiff has a need. And for every need that is in this room tonight, there's somebody in this room tonight can meet that need. And for every need there is in Cardiff tonight, there's somebody in Cardiff that can meet that need. I believe that in all my heart. Why? Because that's the pattern the Lord has given us. If we want to live a life worth leaving to others. John tells us in 1 John in his first epistle saying, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How to have the love of God in him? There's a few things that I just don't understand about life. I don't understand how people cannot be willing to help others. I don't understand it. The love of God, the pattern that we've been given, laying the life down for someone. You know what? There are times in your life when you are the one who is in need, and there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody, Every one of us in here, Either this week, next week, next month, last, whatever. Every single one of us are at that moment in time where we need someone. We need an ear. We need a hug. 
We need an attaboy, whatever. We need something. And there's some days when the power is in your hands to fulfill that needs of, of others. Now I wonder sometimes what holds us back from reaching our full potential of being willing to help someone else. Living that life that's worth leaving to others. We see the Lord's heart. What He is, He does. And it's a legacy about making a difference in the lives of others. His shadow is cast throughout the pages of history as a perpetual reminder and pattern for others to follow as we continue to pen the epistle of our own life, which is known and read of all men. Beloved, I don't know how big your sphere of influence is. I know what my yearly prayer is. My annual prayer on the front end of the year is for the Lord to enlarge the imprint of my influence. That's what I ask for. And there are days, there, there has been years when I prayed that prayer on the morning time and the prayer has been answered that afternoon. School called me up, wanted me to get involved there, th different things like that. And there's been times I've prayed that prayer, and I haven't physically seen anything, but I have to trust my Lord that the older I get, and in my life now, at my age, that shadow's behind me. It's no longer in front of me as a young boy. It's not even directly underneath me in a middle age. It's back there now, and it's getting longer, and it's getting deeper, and I can't see it anymore. But my hope and my prayer tonight... It's a shadow of my life others will see. And that it can be a pattern for others to follow. But most importantly, it can be Jesus Christ seen in that shadow for a difference to be made in the lives of others. Jesus put forth his hand. There was an action that was supported by his words because what he is, he did. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. We thank you for this time to be together this evening. We pray that you take the words... Allow them to reverberate around our heart and mind throughout this evening. Lord, I pray that a difference will be made in the souls of men, women, and children. I pray the lives, Lord, of the people in our sphere of influence, dear God, that it would continue to, to grow larger, that it would get wider and have a greater effect, and it would continue to abound throughout the ages. Lord, I love you and I thank you for all that you've done. I pray that you bless each and every one of us. And as we prepare to close the service here in just a few moments, we sing a song, dear Lord. I pray that we don't just tick the box. That we don't just tick the box, say churches are worth, but we take what we've heard and we apply it immediately in our days. Lord, I love you and I thank you. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen. Pray that the preaching and teaching the word of God was a blessing.